0: Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to The Ringer Podcast Network. We hope The Ringer can provide you entertainment and companionship during this time. So as always, feel free to check out theringer.com, where we're still covering the latest in sports, pop culture, tech, and media. And The Ringer's YouTube channel can provide endless amounts of entertainment. You can find that at youtube.com slash theringer.
1: Hello, media consumers. Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker of The Ringer here. Lots and lots of great stuff to get to today. David and I will talk about how you and your non news website can continue to churn out content during the coronavirus pandemic. We'll talk about the pain sports writers are feeling while the games are canceled. All that plus the overworked Twitter joke of the week. But David, I want to start with a man in the news, more than a man, really, someone who's in charge. Who has been cast by questing democrats in a lovelorn media as the leader we need now david i give you new york governor andrew cuomo
2: i don't even have the words to express my admiration for them fdr always had words courage is not the absence of fear but rather the assessment that something else is more important than fear to me that says it all today everyone is afraid Everyone is afraid. You think these police officers are not afraid to leave their house? You think these nurses are not afraid to go into the hospital? They're afraid. But something is more important than their fear, which is their passion, their commitment for public service and helping others. That's all it is. It's just their passion and belief in helping others. And that overcomes their fear. And that makes them, in my book, just truly amazing outstanding human beings
1: so what you heard there david was kind of an elevation because before andrew cuomo was doing fdr at those Mm -hmm. daily press conferences there he was actually doing fdr the quotes and everything he has become our kind of national fireside chat has he not
0: yeah, I mean, there's something very comforting, certainly, about his presentation, and I think uh, it's only fitting that in you know the modern age, the fireplace has been replaced by the PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> but there's something uh, incredibly comforting about his it, just sort of matter-of-fact style, the um, just sort of like com- just the the utter simplicity of that like sans serif font, and just like how and and the whole and just the way he. Pre- I mean, honestly, let, let's be real very little of what he says goes beyond just like, you know, your high school senior like your high school senior doing a perfect persuasive argument assignment, right? But just but his presentation is such, his character is such that it just becomes it just it, it it transcends. And everything from that clip you just you just played was just A plus material, but material that could have applied to, you know, ninety-nine point nine percent of of national catastrophes that we've this country's been through. Um but there's just but it's just the, the plainness of it. And it's weird. It's not like Joe, it's like Joe, Joe Biden's out here, you know, and so many Democratic candidates have been running on this campaign of sort of return to normalcy. But I don't think there's really a normalcy to speak of in America. I don't think necessarily quoting FDR does more than pay lip service to one. I do think that there's a return to I don't know, just a sort of simplicity and Cuomo has a sort of hard-nosed simplicity. I think that's really hard. I mean, that, that's that's really just a perfect match for this moment. Right down to him saying, "This is a pers- th- This is my personal opinion," and having the PowerPoint presentation say "personal opinion" before he gives his opinion. Right. I mean, that <laughs> could you stand in starker contrast to a president for whom everything is is you know reflected through a lens of personal opinion?
1: So there's two things there, right? There's the anti-Trump part of it, as you're alluding to there. What Donald Trump has done is hold these vainglorious press briefings that are filled with lies. See his exchange this weekend with Yamish Alcindor. Joe Biden has not really done many interviews until this last week. He's sort of still struggling to gain visibility. He's kind of ducked, taking a very hard line anti-Trump position. Got asked by Chuck Todd last week if he thought there was blood on Trump's hands. He responded, I think that's a little too harsh, right? Which is what a lot of Democrats are not looking for at this moment. So Cuomo has sort of stepped into a vacuum. And it feels like that lane for the anti-Trump of the coronavirus was going to be there. This is one of those roles that the media was going to look to cast, no matter how all this turned out. And it just so happens that he has placed himself in that position. The amazing thing I want to say about it first, and it's the most obvious thing is nobody liked Andrew Cuomo before this. (laughs) He was a bully. He was ideologically squishy. He was that sort of old school establishment politician that had fallen out of favor, at least for Democrats online somehow. And help me think this through when viewed through the lens of a national emergency like this one, all those characteristics have either become assets or at least we're not seeing them in such a negative light. How did that happen?
0: Well, I mean, I don't think that sort of the anti Cuomo contingent has totally disappeared. Um, there was a, you know, a a rather powerful piece in current affairs, um, it's called "Stop Trying to Make Andrew Cuomo Happen." That that referenced all of the sort of pro <laughs> Andrew Good Cuomo headline. stuff that's been going on. But you know what was kind of most shocking to me about that was, I guess, in an age where our our liberal torchbearer is Joe Biden, or we're even like you know the you know if you're the Bernie Sanders of the world have sort of glaring flaws in their gun control votes or whatever that you can point to Cuomo as the sort of you know in the sort of cabaret seat of of you know, New York governorship, his negatives are much more sort of ephemeral. And I I think you put it pretty, pretty directly. Now, listen, you can easily pin down some real sketchy behavior going on in the back rooms when it comes to, well, everything. I mean, down to like marriage equality, other things that he touts as as personal victories. but but as far as like his record, it is, it's all just sort of like, well, nobody likes him, you know? I mean, he's actually just a bully. He's, you know, his, his, He's he's only in it for himself, that sort of thing. Um, which is maybe the the greatest masterstroke of this whole thing is is making it feel like he just sort of fell backwards into this role as America's governor, right? That that this was this was all just sort of incidental, um, and he would have been doing this even if nobody were watching. Uh, the, the, the being able to portray that as sort of the background for this, I think, is is the most is the greatest success of the whole thing.
1: Yeah, and I think to some extent a certain portion of the public wanted the democratic bully, right? That that's who they wanted. They wanted not the Trump bully who was lying and, you know, was pumping up his own role in this and, and, and giving out wrong information, battling with me. They didn't want that. They wanted the take charge democratic guy. They wanted the guy who said, as Cuomo did last week, if someone wants to blame someone, blame me, there's no one else responsible for this decision. That's when he was closing down all the bars and restaurants and stuff in the state. Um, He said on Friday, we're going to go out and kick coronavirus's ass, which is, is, you know, not exactly a specific medical term, but there is a sort of, you know, rallying kind of effect in that. I I tell you the weird thing about watching him do these briefings and and appear in other places. He's actually made me like Chris Cuomo more, which I didn't think was possible at all. And go on. <laughs> well, because, you know, Chris Cuomo to me was always just like on a regular Tuesday night, you, you, you'd flip by that and go, man, this is just so overheated and tonally bizarre. Mm-hmm. And then at the very beginning of this crisis, or at least the, the beginning of when a lot of people started to get their minds around this crisis, he started having his brother on and they were doing this thing that seemed like a too cute Cuomo on Cuomo thing and talking about mom and dad and all that stuff. But it, it kind of works. I got to say, it, it's, not, it's not bad. And the Chris Cuomo style of I'm the truth teller, the scenery chewing truth teller works a lot better when the whole nation is plunged into crisis mm-hmm. than it maybe did during a, a simpler time.
0: Yeah. I mean, listen, my I have married into an Italian American family that is just literally like separate from the coronavirus crisis, but almost contemporaneous to it has just I mean, just starting a couple of months before has just been totally like enraptured by the fact that they all finally admitted to each other that they're like big Cuomo heads. (laughs) <laughs> um like they're all they all just have like an unnatural sort of like wait why am i thinking about andrew cuomo right now or why am i like like what like why is chris cuomo like, like they, they they just are you know they they love them both and they don't have any reason why um, i'm sorry
1: i missed that conversation around your dinner table i don't like it
0: was it was quite a conversation but uh i do think that there's something very there's just something really appealing about 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 both cuomos but i agree that the sort of it's not even not so. It's partly the tone, but more the tempo of Chris Cuomo's show that it just felt a little bit like. I don't know. You're right. Overheated is the right word. It's sort of just like the beat, like like the like the the they borrowed the metronome from Nancy Grace or something, and just like they yes. can't quite get into a regular news cadence. But um, he was in
1: pandemic mode all the time.
0: You yeah. Know? Now now the pan now now he's found a, a moment that suits his 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 tempo. Um, and listen, I mean, just. To, to go back on like the, the, the them being together, this wasn't them together, but there was a moment during Andrew Cuomo's presser I think yesterday where I just like turned, I I left the room, came back, and he was talking about Italian families gathering around the dinner table and how it was more to get people together than just to eat the food. And I watched for a minute to try to watch him circle it back around. I'd missed what the point was entirely, but I was like, <laughs> I'm enjoying hearing this guy talk about red sauce. Like this is, fa- <laughs> this is this is great stuff. Um, there's just something really, there's just, there, it's just, it's just, there's no, I can't, I can't even think of a situation. I mean, I can't even think of a, a counter example. This is, this, this is a perfect moment for him and, and, and yeah, for both Cuomo's really.
1: So the bit about talking about family and, and, and putting in those terms, I think that's another reason he's been able to step into this vacuum is emotional leadership. Right. Mm -hmm. This is this is performative emotionally. Every time a politician opens their mouths, it's performative. I get that. I'm not I'm not saying it. But as you and I've talked about on this pod many times, Trump is not even doing the simple performative stuff. Yeah. Saying it's going to be okay. We're going to figure this out. You have people that are working and fighting and working as hard as they can for you, America, maybe because in the case of the Trump administration, they're not. But he has not done that. Um, Alex Shepard had a big piece in the new Republic about the canonization of Cuomo, a good and appropriately skeptical piece, I think, but he hit on this. He says, Cuomo has talked about missing one of his daughters who was quarantined after possibly being exposed to the coronavirus and the blessing of getting to spend time with another daughter over the past two weeks. He has worried about his own elderly mother. Those are the kind of conversations that actual people are having about coronavirus right now. Right. They are talking like you and I do about what's it like to suddenly spend all day every day with your kids? What's Mm -hmm. it like to worry about your mom who's far away who you can't get on a plane and go see because that would actually be the worst idea for everyone involved, Uh right? And just doing that through his own lens and just acknowledging, I think that that's the way people are talking about the virus. That's part of what's been so effective. Yeah, there are downsides to this, of course. Uh, Cuomo, even during the crisis, has made decisions that seem unwise. He waited longer than other governors like Gavin Newsom out here in California to close those non-essential businesses, use the state's prison labor to produce hand sanitizer. He has carried on this bizarre feud with Bill de Blasio. Apparently, they have taken the Amy Klobuchar, Pete Buttigieg blood feud that will never end slot of American life just going on and on. Uh Um, And then then Shepard, who I mentioned in his New Republic piece a second ago, he talked about how a lot of this is actually performance, right? This is what we're grading this guy on. He says, the president's admittedly disastrous press conferences and tweets get as much outrage as his administration's myriad failures to prepare the country for an inevitable outbreak. In Cuomo, the bruiser striving to be a father figure, the press has found the perfect counterpoint, right? Again, to my point we were looking at some level for the performance of leadership in a time like this. Cuomo was smart enough, you know, in the right place at the right time enough, whatever it is to deliver it. And Trump wasn't. And that is partly what we're talking about when we seek to canonize Cuomo.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, Cuomo has been, um, by the way, before we get too far away from the family stuff, I do not want to I do not want to fail to admit his little moment of Zen-esque looking on the bright side segments in every press conference where he just encourages us all to like find a place to find a piece of joy in our day or whatever. That's I mean, just but there, there is a very fatherly thing about that, too, right, where it's like, you know. Your dad, your mom—they—they—they they, they can be fount- fountains of great wisdom, wonderful advice, but that always comes hand in hand with some just real like shimsy shit too, you know. <laughs> and and and, and uh, I think that Cuomo's been at this for a long time, right? I mean, this has been his this level life. of this level of national prominence, yeah, has been the goal and has been you know for for a long time and uh, for his entire life. You're right, and I think that that um, it's it's worth pointing out. I mean, just in a very, you know, general political sense, sometimes you age into this stuff, right? I mean, it doesn't, it, it, even the, even if it's all handed to you, maybe there's, there's a different moment for everybody. And this is certainly the moment for him. He found a sort of, um, you know, he found, a, he he's, he's found a rhythm and he's found just like his brother did with his TV show that works really well for what we're doing right now. I mean, what we're all going through right now. And I think that there's, to talk about, you know, compared to the president again, I mean, I think that, that pointing out, I think that there's a level of of dissatisfaction, not just fear, but dissatisfaction that we all fear that he gives voice to in a really interesting way, right? I mean, there's, again, yeah. a very a very fatherly piece to that. It's the kind of grumpy dad thing, but it's not just, we're scared, we don't know what to do, we need to find somebody that to tell us it's going to be okay. We need somebody that's going to be like, Here's why it's dumb for every state to be bidding on ventilators against each other because this immediately becomes a thing you can like talk to your friend about. You know, this is a conversation that we can all engage in. We can all just be like, "Yeah, that is dumb." You know? And it's and that's a sort of community that in the in the Twitter era and even out even in the world that exists outside of social media, that's very much our culture right now, right? It's just like finding a common gripe. And we're all sick is not a gripe. It's a malady. I mean, it's a, it's a that's a that's that's a, you know, a terrible situation, but he's managed to find a way to make us all to bring us together with happiness with gripiness with with uh, with you know pota- with 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 rosy-eyed looks to to the potential for this thing we can all paint a house that we've been paint our house like we've been meaning to for 6 months or 6 years there's a there's there's a real sort of magic of the moment that he has and it's it's uh you know it's pretty incredible to watch did
1: you uh as soon as you saw cable news carrying these Cuomo press conferences live. Did you set your timer for 10 minutes before we started getting, why isn't Cuomo the 2020 Democratic (laughs) nominee takes?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think part of Cuomo's appeal at this point is sort of that he's not that guy, right? I mean, that even though this is clearly his lifelong path, his lifelong trajectory, you know, he didn't get the Gillenbrand Senate spot, you know, even though he was he was much discussed for that. he You know, he's he's had some setbacks. He wasn't this hasn't been it hasn't been a yellow brick road, road the whole way, at least in terms of elected off, at least in terms of winning everything or, you know, getting everything that he was mentioned for. Um, and he was certainly mentioned as a potential nominee. Not this isn't the first time, but, um, you know, if he comes out looking rosy at the end of this, I think part partly it'll be because. We get to have that conversation about him. Why not him? Without him being, in, without him having actually been an option, him being an option would have been probably the worst thing for him. Totally right. All right, David. Time for the overworked
1: Twitter joke of the week, where we celebrate a gag that was so obvious that all of media Twitter made it at exactly the same time. Send your nominees to at the press box pod. David, we've done a couple of different versions of the thing where the despicable person gets the coronavirus. The last one was Harvey Weinstein. Mm-hmm. Uh, today's winner and, and not, to, not to put them on the same level at all but Knicks and Rangers owner James Dolan it was an overworked Twitter joke to write the coronavirus has tested positive for James Dolan <laughs> thanks to Bam at a bio stand uh, <laughs> <laughs> you have to must be, must be seen to be fully appreciated David you know all about the run on toilet paper that's been going on at grocery stores There was a CNN headline this week that read, toilet paper makers, colon, what we are dealing with here is uncharted. It was an overworked Twitter joke to write, actually, it's uncharted. (laughs) Thanks to Marv. And finally, David, a tweet from Entrepreneur. I don't know what Entrepreneur is, but they had a big tweet this week. The tweet read, quote, scientists say they can recreate living dinosaurs Within the next five years, wow. Some funny responses. That's all we need. More Fox News viewers. <laughs> Send them all the stimulus money now. And I like this one. I've seen this movie. It didn't end well. Oh, wow, that's great. Thanks to our pal Zach Brooks. If you thought that even in a time of pandemic that comedy finds a way, congrats. you made the overworked Twitter joke of the week. David in the notebook dump. Let's say that you're operating a website during this trying time that is not strictly a news site. You're not going to be America's go-to source for coronavirus news. What do you do? How do you stay relevant content-wise? Well, you and I looked around the internet, and here today we can offer a public service by presenting the COVID-19 content checklist. Yes. We're going to alternate here. Um, I've got the first one. Number one on your content checklist, make a list, make a list of anything. I was looking at the athletic today, top hundred sports movies of all time. Top hundred. Are there a hundred (laughs) sports movies period also on the athletic, the play-by-play broadcaster hall of fame, right? At this time, at this time in our nation, we need to finally decide who the best play-by-play broadcasters are of all time. We've got list at the ringer, of course. Mm-hmm. What do you make of list mania during this period of American life?
0: Well, okay. First of all, there's kind of an oddly obscene comfort in it, right? I mean, not only obscene in the sense that, like, how can we be this deep into internet culture that we are like that lists are the most common part of of our internet language, right? But it is. I mean, that's true. Um, it, it, it also is. Um, relies heavily on engagement, right? I mean, we're at the Ringer. We're doing a a bracket for the the greatest TV show character of the century. Yes. Um. uh I'll l I mean, it's. I'll just say that the engagement is skewing a little bit young right now, but um, you know, Al Swearingen's losing to NoHo Hank from Barry, which is kind of wild. But, mm. um, I mean, that's you know, it's a bracket that's inherently engagement, right? I mean, we're, we're people are voting for the winner. Uh, and, and to bring us, you know, I mean, this is sounds so corny for to, br- to have something to bring us together at a time where we're all literally separated by walls and m- windows and miles and whatever else. Um, I think that's helpful or it's it's meaningful. Um, and then, you know, I, if nothing else, it's it's, it's a reminder. Of, I mean, when you're ranking all the things, you're inherently like looking backwards. Right. And that's and looking into the past is obviously a little bit more appealing than looking out the window right now. So we're like watching television.
1: Here's the one type of list
0: I find a little bit oppressive,
1: a hundred books to read <laughs> while you're in isolation, a hundred movies to watch while you're in isolation. I, I, You and I are both at home during this whole thing with our kids, right? right? We are doing a couple of things. We are working full-time, full-time yeah. and a half in your case, and then we are also working full-time as parents, basically not only doing parenting stuff that we might not be doing at 11 o'clock on a Tuesday morning, but also basically teaching our kids school because they're not in school. Right. So I am the geography teacher and by geography. I mean, Hey, sunny boy po- pointed a spot on the globe and let's talk about it. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's my idea. So <laughs> you and I are also both privileged. Let's to put that out there. Right. We're not, we're not in some hardship that so, so many people are, but I've never felt a bigger difference between me and a lot of people that are otherwise like me that I, than I do when I see one of these lists. And yeah. I say, I don't have more time now that I'm at home. I have much, much less time. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not going to watch 100 movies. It'd be awesome if I could watch one movie mm-hmm. and still get all the stuff I need to get done today done.
0: Absolutely, and listen from the from the editorial, from the creative side too. You know, I have all the respect in the world for my coworkers who are like, "Well, my normal beat is not, you know, is, is is out the window right now." So let me figure out a way to like fill all that time with constructing a list or a bracket or whatever else. Dude, if I get one less thing to do today than I had to do yesterday, I feel like I'm doing it's a it's a incredible mitzvah for my entire family that I get to you know hang out with my kids in the yard for five extra minutes. All right, David,
1: do you want to hit number 2 on the COVID content checklist?
0: Well, this is sort of related to what we talked about in the last one, but it's it's uh I mean in terms of the historical aspect. It's revisiting an old thing. Mm. Uh in in in, in it, it, we all have, I can speak specifically for the Ringer. We all have troves of old things, of 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 great works from the years past. And this is this is the immediate version of it that is um Recycled is the wrong word. I believe the term of art that the, the people use now is is upcycling. Uh, but <laughs> that we oh you know we put so much time and effort into writing feature stories that are literally gone forty eight hours later. I mean the internet has like knows Twitter has no sign of a piece you wrote forty eight seventy two hours after it was written. Um, we can re- we can revisit those old things. We can recirculate them. We can give them new sunlight. But it's not just that. It's revisiting things that are even older than that too. Right. I mean it's it's. Um, You know, we can all we can get together. You can you can get on Zoom with your friend and watch WrestleMania One. I can speak to that a little bit. You can, um, you know, drop. You can text message somebody and talk about. Gee, I've got a. You know, I finally got into the collected works of Michael Connolly or (laughs) Ross Williams. Take pick your guy. There's there's so many there's so many things that we can revisit now. Um, that just slowing slowing down life and also this sounds again corny sort of taking life a little bit back to its basics, gives you the opportunity to do.
1: I think I think that's what it is, right? Because usually when you revisit an old sports game or an old figure from the pop culture past, part of what you're playing on there or what's being played on in your brain is this idea of, oh, when I listened to this band or when I watched this show, I was in my teens, right? It was the 80s, it was the 90s, like, and you zoom back to that period in your life and that makes mm-hmm. you happy. What's happening here is it's zooming you back to just pre-coronavirus. So It could be something that happened in December and you're just saying, oh, wow, remember that time in my life when I could watch sports at all, when I could go outside, when I go to a stadium. And I think it just kind of like triples the nostalgia factor that's usually contained in those stories and in those revisits. And that is something I would just imagine. I haven't looked at the traffic numbers, but that people just have an endless appetite for right now let me give you number three on the list keep writing the evergreen pieces you were already writing before the pandemic okay you and i i think have probably run into this each individually i can't write a piece right now that i thought maybe i'd be writing in march because it just doesn't feel right you know or i literally can't go report this piece because i'm not supposed to leave my house mm-hmm. there's also another category i was surfing through Twitter couple days ago it was all the usual death and destruction and awfulness of the virus and then i come across joe posnanski over at the athletic doing his top 100 baseball players of all time and here comes number 11 mickey mantle across the transom <laughs> and i'm like oh wow it's a piece of content that is just absolutely not encumbered in any way by what's happening right now I mean that may be like 1% of things that are published they just they're not being stopped at all. Like n- n- nothing happened. That that piece is slight as far as I know, sliding down the conveyor belt just exactly as it would have before we all got into this horrible predicament.
0: Absolutely. Um there's nothing better than the evergreen, I mean, then just I mean I mean, listen, that's that we love those things more than anything in the world, and now we finally have the leisure to put out to kick up our feet and read the, to, to discuss Mickey Mantle in our heads or with whoever's putting this thing forward. Um, listen, I think number four is my personal favorite, certainly the most the, the the one that's gotten the most uh attention around my household in the past couple mm. of weeks. It's using your sports skills on non sports things. Now I think I accidentally <laughs> affected a little bit of an announcer's voice right there because the thing that Using I can't
1: non <laughs> sports skills, I'll leave the
0: real impressions to you. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's nothing that, that uh, has been more appealing to my family as a whole more um, as sometimes obvious, sometimes saccharine as it may be is Joe Buck announcing the killing of a spider.
2: Well, this is a coming-of-age video for
0: sure. If you listen to the video in the background, mom is absolutely challenging her son's manhood as they ask their kid to go kill his first spider. He's using a poker chip, so there's a lot going on in this house. Killing of spiders using poker
2: chips. The kid's a little bit scared. That's fine. Uh, Raise your hand if if you're not scared uh, of killing a spider. And uh, yeah, he's got it. He's got it. Just press the Kleenex against the wall and and hope. Mom says, here, if you killed it, then you shouldn't be scared of it. Mom, Dad, you've taught your son a valuable lesson. 11 years old and becoming a man.
1: I'm totally in favor of what Joe Buck is doing. I do want to offer one counterpoint on this. I don't really understand what Arnold Schwarzenegger is doing (laughs) on Twitter. It seems like he's trying to be Arnold in a non- Arnold specific setting, and I and I and at first I think people thought it was really funny, and then they just kind of kept going on. I, I'm not really sure what I think That's about a, that.
0: It's bit. not specific to sportscasters, obviously. The, the the social media right now is overflowing with with celebrities or borderline celebrities, uh, major professional media professionals who are. Adrift without a thing to do, and who are um, out of the kindness of their heart, or out of, or out of a lack of of anything else to fill their time with, or you know, a need for attention, whatever it may be, they're kind of offering themselves up to charities, to people in general, to whatever. I mean, I, there, there's, I, I saw Jake Johnson a while back on Instagram saying he would call in his uh, Spider Man animated Spider Man voice and leave messages for kids. You know, there I mean, there's, uh, I saw that somebody like a a Broadway uh, actress, songstress who was. Who is opening up? I think to like evaluate kids or, or like li- listen to kids au- auditions. And I mean, there's there's so many of them that there's a sort of. It, I would assume there'd be a sort of diminishing returns aspect to it, but there hasn't been. This is like everybody is at home and everybody is is looking for something to fill their time. But more importantly than that, we're a, I think we're just at a place right now where like we are willing to be gratified. You know, we're wi- we are willing to like indulge in the most sort of like. Just the the sort of old fashioned happiest aspects of our society. If someone's doing a kind thing, um, I think it's worth embracing and worth pointing out and and worth you know indulging in at a time like this. Finally, number five on the COVID
1: content checklist: David go old media. Keith mm-hmm. Olbermann, who you and I are fans of, has gone basically old school radio. Every night for a while, he was getting on Twitter, putting a camera on, and just reading James Thurber stories. (laughs) When I say old school radio, I mean like theater of the mind kind of radio, right? Here's Oldman reading a portion of The Catbird Seat. Mr. Martin bought the pack of camels on Monday night in the most crowded cigar store in Broadway. It was theater time and seven or eight men were buying cigarettes. The clerk didn't even glance at Mr. Martin, who put the pack in his overcoat pocket and went out. I did see one that was, um, I don't know if it was disturbing, but it indicated a possibly disturbing trend. I got a, a PR release from Texas Monthly Magazine, love Texas Monthly, saying that the writers were going to start an Instagram TV series called Texas Monthly Bedtime Stories. I'm quoting here, <laughs> where writers read aloud some of their favorite long-form stories. Now, I'm sure in Texas Monthly's case, those will be some really great stories. I, I just don't want I, I to encourage that right? Like, you know, we, we, Arnold Schwarzenegger is bad enough, but if our favorite magazine writers get on Twitter and just start reading their own material, that's basically what they do anyway, right? We don't, we don't need any encouragement to just recite old stories. Just thank you very much. Uh, we'll just confine that to Texas monthly. Nobody else get any ideas. All right, David, finally in the notebook dump, I want to talk about sports writers and the coronavirus. I have a piece up today on the ringer about this subject. Um, during pandemics, as I put in there, all hell is relative, right? People are sick. People are financially strapped right now. There's all kinds of horrible things in the world. With that proviso, the next couple of months is going to be just a terrible period economically for people in our business, especially the corner that we're in right now. Yep. And it's already happening. We saw that fan graphs uh, today with layoffs. We've seen newspaper people laid off, freelance people seeing work that they had counted on evaporating and you know what's so unique about this national emergency is that i think you know a lot of times we'll have a recession or we'll have some kind of problem which will you know basically start a new ad crunch in newspapers or websites or wherever it is or traffic crunch in the case of fan graphs this one is actually i think almost selecting sports writers By because it's saying like, look, there are no games, so why are you still writing for the newspaper? Mm
2: -hmm.
0: You're
1: you're laid off until the games come back, and who knows what happens. By the way, when the games do come back, yeah, or you know, you were a freelance writer who was gonna write a gamer about the Detroit Tigers games. Well, guess what? There's no Detroit Tigers games, so you don't get any money. And we're just in the beginning stages of this. And part of the reason I wrote this because I just think this is going to be. A horrific event for a lot of people. And there's nothing to do, right? You know, we can talk about uh, media companies getting small business loans. There's this Ben Smith column in the New York Times today about oh, we should you know get away from the commercial journalism model for local news. Those are interesting ideas. In the short term, there's nothing to do. And it's it's just going to be really, really, really bad. For a whole bunch of people.
0: Yeah, I don't even know what I can add to that. I mean, it's, it's, um, I, you know, talked a lot in the last episode about employers who are in positions of need, but more importantly, they've been looking for excuses to lay people off for a long time. There's some of that, but some of this is, um, you know, obviously going to be partly out of necessity. I mean, I don't really find it hard to really embrace that, but okay. But it's, it, I think the more important thing is what you said. Um, it's, 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 it's going to be a tough time. I mean, it's going to be a really dark time for a lot of people and that's exceeding the darkness of what we're all already going through. Um, uh, I, you know, this feels like we are in a position sports writers, like you said, most acutely, but journalism in general, um, it does feel like we've been staving off this sort of moment for a long time, but there has mm-hmm. been a sort of inevi- a feeling of inevitability that when we, fe- whenever this moment came, whatever shape it came in there, whenever a moment where, that, that you know quote unquote justified some large number of layoffs or cuts or whatever else that it would be hard for the industry to ever fully recover from or impossible. And and the scary thing is we might be looking at it right now.
1: Let's do David Shoemaker guesses a strain pun headline. All
0: right. All right.
1: This one's from before the pandemic. Several people sent it to me or at least before the pandemic washed uh, up in this to this degree on these shores. David is from the Toronto sun, February 14th. I'm just going to read you the sub headline, the blue Jays, Reese McGuire, Arrested for allegedly masturbating in busy parking lot in Florida. This was the this was the back page. Reese McGuire allegedly masturbating in a busy parking lot in Florida. What was the Toronto Suns strained pun
0: headline? Can we go with its reach exceeded its grasp for two weeks for two episodes in a row? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's good. Um. All right. So wait. Go go hit the. It's Toronto Blue Jays. Yeah. And what's,
1: what's, what's the, what word could you use to pun off that particular act that would actually be safe for a family newspaper?
0: Do you think? Uh, j- jerk. Ooh, um, close. Very, very close. Uh, jack. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh uh-huh. Jack. And, jack.
1: And, in, and where was he? He was in a. Jack in the car. Uh-huh. Jack in the, Ooh, Jack in the around. lot. Flip that around. What? Not jack in the, not Jack in the car. car but oh, carjack. Carjacking
0: carjacking fantastic
1: he is David Shoemaker I'm Brian Curtis research by Erica Cervantes and Chris Almeida production magic by Jim Cunningham we're back Thursday with more lukewarm takes about the media see you then David
0: see you later Brian David David oh that's good yeah that is dumb you know